Let's pray. God, just as we've heard these words read to us aloud, we pray that your word come not simply in word alone, but with power, with full conviction, and with the Holy Spirit, through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Oh, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Jimmy. Wow, last week we began our public preaching ministry among you of seeking God in prayer and scripture, gathered around his word. And so many of you have been so helpful in our transition, asking us, praying for us in this time of transition. And you've been saying, how's it going? And I will say, it has been surprising and swift. You know, back when we were with you on July 14th for our interview, would you believe that it was less than three weeks later that we had sold our home, bought a home, moved, and I was still working for ACU, all in less than three weeks' time. And you've been patient with us as I finished my work through, through August, the, the end of August, because we wanted to get our kids in school. We wanted to get them into Abilene Public School, or Abilene, we wanted to get them out of Abilene and into Albuquerque Public Schools. And, and uh, that kind of transition has us where our heads are kind of spinning, right? Saying goodbye to friends, in the case of the kids, lifelong friends, and getting, ex- you know, being sorrowful for them, and then looking to the future and being excited about what's coming. That, has, that kind of transition is swift and quick. Well, uh, so, I, I mean, don't let the kids know that they got one week less or summer vacation by, by coming to Albuquerque because it started a week earlier. But we were here. And one thing that I knew is with our heads spinning like that, I needed a desert time. I needed a transition time to put to rest the work for ACU and fully focus my attention on first. And so I asked that of the elders. Can I go into the desert? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for this church? and for the city of Albuquerque, away from the internet, away from my phone, and they allowed me to do that. And I'm thankful for that. During that time, in that time in the desert where I'm praying for you and thinking about messages, thinking about what what we would uh, explore together, I started thinking about this preacher's kid. This preacher's kid who also had a very strange start. Last week was a strange start for me as we jumped into Mark 1. And this preacher's kid... His uh, father was a priest, grew up in temple worship. In fact, this guy found out about the birth of his son while he was serving in the temple. Well, John, the baptizer, didn't follow in his father's footsteps. He didn't take the path of being a priest in a temple. He went out, strangely enough, into the wilderness and put on these hairy clothes and this leather belt. Now, out in the desert were a lot of other people, too. Some Essenes, a Jewish sect, who had also gone out into the wilderness to be away from people. In fact, about 300 years earlier, they had grown frustrated by temple worship, gathered up a bunch of the temple scrolls, and marched themselves out into the desert to pray and reflect on on a truer and purer way of pursuing God. But John even though he's a lot like those folks, is different from them in some significant ways. So he's not an insider in the temple. 
And he's not even really an insider with the outsider rebel essence. In fact, the differences are pretty stunning. His dress of the camel's hair, man, that's a very uncomfortable garb if I can ever think of any, and a leather belt that didn't fit with the Qumran community. They wore white linen, pure white linen. In fact, have you seen Sally today? I think Sally is, just looks beautiful. I told her that when I first saw her. But there's a difference between camel's hair over here and the beauty of, of Sally in the linen. Well, they also were a settled community. And John, something of a nomad. They had some, some uh, restrictions. You could only be a part of their community after a three-year probationary period. John was welcoming people into the kingdom of God immediately. They were secretive and withdrawn. And John is public and open. They were exclusive, and John was including everyone, men and women. Outsiders became insiders. So I just got to thinking about this strange preacher's kid and began to realize that this was a place that we needed to go to explore this message of John the Baptist that he brings to launch the ministry of Jesus. In all the Gospels, all four of them, this character shows up, showing us how to find our way to Jesus, bringing people to Jesus. In fact, even last week I pointed out how our church mission statement of bringing people to Jesus is very similar to John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. That's what we're doing, is clearing out obstacles and making the path of the Lord straight. But the verse that really gave me a double take that we're going to spend time in today is verse 5. Verse 5 of Mark chapter 1. Now we talked about it last week, about how the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to John in the wilderness. Mark seems to really want us to know that everybody who's anybody is going out to seeing John the Baptist and be baptized him with a baptism of repentance. But the part that has my neck spinning this week is what they were doing. They came confessing their sins. Really? Voluntarily confessing their sins. Do people do that? I mean, Christians, we don't even talk about confession very often. We certainly don't do it very often. And I begin wondering, what is it that makes people voluntarily confess their sins? Last week, I happened to catch an episode of Family Feud. Hadn't seen Family Feud in a long time. I probably don't have to explain it to you, but two families squaring off in this game show. And the central premise is we tell, they, they give a question or they give some statement like, what would people say is their favorite dessert? And then you get these survey responses. And the way you get points is to try to guess, as a family, the highest rated survey responses. Well, seeing that game show made me wonder, have they ever done anything on confession? Have they ever done anything on when people admit that they're wrong? And so I did some looking, and I, I, it's not like a library. It's not a real easy database to explore. But I found two. I'll tell you about one. They talked about who you would confess to. Does anybody have any guesses? 
audience participation here, who you would confess to. A priest, that's number one. Way to go, Debbie. Survey response once. What else? God? That didn't make the survey. Surprise, surprise, right? Your parents? Yes, family was on the list. I'm sad to say it was in last place on a show called Family Feud, but that comes in last. Your best friend? The bartender. Yeah, yep. I think that, that one did not make it either. So God and the bartender gets left out. You guys did well here. So the list, and here's the order. Priest, friend, police officer, <laughs> lawyer, judge, and last of all, family. Well, so I think we need to do our own little family feud, right? Little, little more audience participation. So I've got to get you warmed up a little bit, get you loosened up to be able to speak. If we're going to pretend like I'm interviewing each of you, right? But I want everyone to be able to participate. So you have to imagine that you're up here with me on the stage, and I'm asking you two questions, okay? And here's how you respond. If you would agree with the question that I'm asking, and you would do this, then you would nod your head up and down like this. All right? If you would disagree, if you would not answer that question, I want you to shake your head no. So one more time, let's try, every, let's try this again. If you're willing to stand up here with me and answer the question, then you would say yes. Okay, pretty good. We've got some stiff-necked people among us, but I'm just going to chalk that up to bad night's sleep. All right, if you would say no, then shake your head no. Okay, I think we're ready. Are you ready? All right, would you stand up here with me today and confess that you have made mistakes, that you have sinned? Okay, I'm polling, I'm polling here. Hey, there's a lot of nodding yes. I, I'm impressed. Most of you would stand up here with me and say, yes, you would confess that you have sinned. All right, next question. Would you stand up here with me and list off your sins for the whole group to hear? Okay. Oh, okay, I've got a few shaking yes. Now they're changing it. Okay, now that's, that's really interesting. It's not surprising, is it? I mean, what I'm seeing is a lot of no's on that left. No, I don't want to stand up there with you. No, I don't want to tell my sins. It's not surprising. Both of these questions are uncomfortable. But the second one really pushes us a, a bit further. Now, I find that interesting because we as Christians believe in confession. We would say, yes, this is a valid thing to do. But what we believe in is more of a generic approach to confession, that, yes, I have sinned, and that's probably all we're going to say about that. To get more specific becomes a whole lot more uncomfortable. And it's not uncommon to each of us as individuals in this space. Have you noticed how much confession and apology just is falling off the radar? Whenever uh, a minister or an entertainer or an athlete, or a politician, or some public figure gets caught. There's generally a watch for, are they going to apologize? Are they going to own up to this? And more often than not, what we get is something like this. 
I'm sorry for those who were hurt by what I did. Right? It's not really an apology. I'm sorry that you misunderstood what happened. Right? It's a very careful turning of the answer to not really apologize, not really confess to anything at all. And we've gotten pretty good at distracting people from the mistakes that we make. So we might disagree with the premise. We might try to discredit the person who's raising this up against us. We might even try to debate the validity of what they're stating, but we will not confess. We have some work to do to look at this little verse 5 in these words here, the confession of sins. And I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but I do want to say something about sin. So we'll have it in our minds. Perhaps we'll talk about it at greater length at another time. Typically, when we talk about sin, we're speaking about making a mistake, a transgression, where if I draw a line, there is a crossing over of the line. I'm no longer on that side of the line. I've come over here. That's not the only way to think about sin. Sin could be thought of as failure to reach the line, like I'm not reaching my full potential of who God's called me to be, right? The second way of thinking about it. A third way is uh, more of an alienation from God, a separation from God. I'm choosing not to direct my life by God and the ways of God, but by some other means. I'm an enemy of God. The last one that I'll mention is uh, thinking about sin as an enslaving power. So we've given up control of some aspect of our life to something or someone else. It could be a substance. It could be some form of addiction, some habit or some practice where we are no longer fully in control ourselves. We've given our control of our life over to something or someone else. Let's talk a little bit about confession. A word that as much as Christians might use it and assume knowledge of, we don't often practice it or define it very well. Confession, when we talk about it in the public sense, like if we go outside the walls of the church and describe confession, it usually means I'm pleading guilty or I'm owning up to a mistake or a crime that I've made. Sometimes we'll even jokingly say, yeah, I'm guilty as charged. And we think of that as confession. In more of the biblical sense or the New Testament sense, confession is more broad than that. Confession is the public acknowledgement, the declaration or announcing of some thing. Maybe something that we've done wrong. It may be something that we believe in. Ah, there's two ways to think about it, right? Confession could be the renouncing of an act or renouncing of something. Or it could be the affirmation of someone or something. Are you with me on this? So it's not too unusual. If you think about Luke chapter 10, verse 21, there's a point where Jesus praises God. He thanks God. It's this word confession that God has given wisdom to infants and hidden it from the wise. Do you remember that passage? It's the same understanding, the same word for confession, but we have it in two senses. Renouncing 
sin, renouncing something negative, or affirming something positive like the Lordship of Jesus. All right, well, now we have to take a deep breath and think, now why, oh why, is this preacher's kid, Brady, choosing in his second sermon to go here with this word, confession? Why, why confession? Well, that's a very good question. The truth of the matter is that we all make mistakes. We all sin. We've even owned up to that today. Most everyone nodded, yes, I have sinned. I make mistakes. But I want you to go deeper than that. Because in a group this size, and in a church community of this size, odds are we've gotten crosswise or sideways with someone. And maybe we're holding on to that. Now, I don't know of any of these. I just know that a new minister is a new opportunity to acknowledge that we've made mistakes and to think about our part in those mistakes. Because there have been disagreements. There have been misunderstandings. There have been fights. And perhaps you're like me, and maybe you're waiting on someone else to make the apology, to make the confession. This strange way to start with confession uh, shows up in a lot of places in Scripture. Can I tell you another story? One of the oddest prophets, one of the oddest stories in the Old Testament is the prophet that God looks at and says, hey, I want you to go to this pagan group of people. They're not Hebrews, and I want you to tell them to repent. And the prophet says, okay, no. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I'm going to get on a ship and go as far away as I can from this direct command from God. You know who I'm talking about, right? He tells a group of sailors, yep, I'm running from God. They're like, come on, until the storm hits. And then these sailors are calling out to every God they can think of, saying, get us out of this mess. And they go down to Jonah, that's his name, and he's asleep in the boat. And they say, wake up, we know you're running from God. He says, yep, we're running from God. What are we supposed to do? And Jonah says, throw me over. Are you kidding me? This is not some self-sacrificing move where he's like, just throw me overboard. This is boneheaded, rock-noggin religious stubbornness. He is not going to admit that he's wrong. He is not going to change course. He says, just kill me. And they say, okay, well, what's the name of your God? Okay, Yahweh, please don't hold this against us. He says, throw him over. That's what we're going to do. They throw him over. Whoosh, voila, the storm is over. The sailors praise God even more. That's an astounding story. But it hits really close to home for us as religious people, right? Where we're often boneheaded and rock-noggined, and we will not change our ways. In fact, this story is so anti-confession that it just gets too deeply in my pocket, where we could probably think about our family, where it starts with not talking to them, being upset about something that happened at Christmas, and then it means you're not doing holidays anymore, and we've long since forgotten of what our part was in that disagreement. I'm wanting us to pull that back. Put it back in our laps. And to go deeper. Because whenever we're drawn into silence, 
and not speaking and aloneness. We're pushed away from the light. We're pushed away from community. And we're pushed away from acknowledging who we really are before God. This has happened to me. I remember a time that a deacon, uh, one of the churches that I served, he was a good man, but a very strident man. And sometimes his stridence and belief in God would cause him to run over people. And he would do things that would hurt them. Sometimes he would know he was doing it, and sometimes he would not. And there was a time where he said some things and did some things where he ran over some helpless people, and it really irritated me. It drove me crazy. And I just sat on that, and I stewed on that, and I brewed on that, became angry, and I didn't treat him as well. And I was waiting for him to straighten up, right? Well, I realized that the problem was not what he had done. The problem had now become what I was doing with it and how I was holding it inside. And so I did something very strange. I took the strange way. And I went to him and I said, I need to apologize. I've been holding some things against you. Do you remember back when you said and did this? I disagreed with that. And I've allowed that to sit and fester. And I need your forgiveness for the ways that I've mistreated you, mainly inside of myself. Well, he looked at me like I was just about the strangest person he could imagine. Because here I am bringing up this point of disagreement. But I'm not blaming him at all. I'm owning my part in keeping it and holding on to it. And he looked at me and he thanked me and he forgave me. Did he apologize? No. But that was not the point. That no longer was the issue because I had taken care of the resentment and the bitterness in my heart, which was what I had control over. And it became a turning point for me and eventually for him as well. If we get really practical, what does this look like? What this looks like is you, before you even leave, with the faces and the names of the people that you're thinking of, those experiences, you schedule the meeting. Don't wait. Schedule it. Don't reduce this to a tweet. Don't Facebook this. Don't send them an email. Go and meet with them. And let them know how you've been hurt by what they've done. Confess what's been going on inside of you and share it. You know, if this is a situation where there's abuse or you're put in danger, I'm not wanting you to go alone, and I'm not wanting you to fall down and lay at this person's feet who may be physically abusing you in some way. So if this is a serious uh, situation. I'm not wanting to confess something that's not yours to own. So please talk to me. Please talk to one of the elders, and we will help walk you through that. But if we're going to advance as first Christian of Albuquerque, it means we have to start with ourselves. It means we have to start preparing the way for the Lord to enter into our hearts, and that comes by acknowledging the wrongs that we've done, big and little the cross words with our spouse, the harsh words to kids who probably didn't mean anything at all, looking at our own business practices and realizing, are we really willing to bend our ethics and stretch it to the limits? 
there's something maybe we need to own up to and confess for the good of first Christians. And in the spirit of John the Baptist, I am saying confess. Confess the resentment. Confess the conflict. Confess the mistake. In fact, I'll even open up the door. If I do, or if I say something that confuses you, or maybe even frustrates you, would you come and tell me? If I even look at you a little odd and you don't know what to think of that, come and talk to me. It may just be gas. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting used to red and green chili, so <laughs> it could just be some intestinal issues. Seriously, I'm opening up the door for communication to be open, for us to be able to speak honestly and openly. And for the most part, what happens is these things go away because they're not allowed to fester. They're not allowed to control us in isolation where we get mad and angry on our own. And they're out into the open and we acknowledge what we all know to be true. We make mistakes. And we can acknowledge those and receive the promises. Promises even given to us by Jesus' brother, James. That if we confess our sins to one another, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Same thing in John. There is healing that takes place in this confession. Let's go to God in prayer. God, you are a good God. And we confess that at times we are not good and we harm one another. Would you please stir within us a spirit of admitting when we are wrong, of doing so more and more, so that we can receive your forgiveness, so that we can offer forgiveness, so that we can live more graciously in your love. We thank you for your crazy servant, John the Baptist, and what he shows us about following you. Help us to prepare the way of the Lord by our repentant turning to you, by confessing our sins before you and others, and looking forward to what you will do with it. Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.